David Molix, CEO of Bluebell Capital Partners, and you are tuned into Your Business Matters, a podcast brought to you by Exim Bank Jamaica and hosted by Henneke Watkins Porter. Your Business Matters brings thought leaders together on thought-provoking ideas every Wednesday at 7 p.m. on your favorite podcast app. You have questions and we are giving you answers. When you speak, we listen. We listen to all your stories. About how your business was started. Including how you chose the name. The location. And every step along the journey to make it applicable to the problems you solve every day. Within these stories, we have also listened to your cries for help. The narrative surrounding limited cash flow. Extended payment terms for buyers who just can't meet your 30-day credit term this month. Next month. And the month after that. We understand trying to add value along a value chain that is dynamic and ever-changing. We are here to help because your stories are the reason we exist. And because we know that sometimes you need credit quickly, we have created Exim Express Receivables Financing so that your most important jobs get done. With a turnaround time of seven days and up to 75% of your receivables covered with no collateral or financials needed, you know you're in good hands. Exim Bank, by helping businesses, we save lives and And livelihood. Before we get into today's discussion, Alan Thomas, Manager, Business Origination and Development at Exim Bank, he's here to share about trade credit insurance. Welcome, Alan. Hi, thank you. When we talk about trade credit insurance, what are we talking about? Trade credit insurance is a product provided by the Exim Bank that gives an exporter or a local trader who sells on credit the ability to protect his his receivables. What do I mean by that? For example, you sell, you're selling biscuits and or sandals and you sell it to a shop or a business, another business place down the road. All right. And, but you sold those goods on credit. You gave them time to pay you. You gave them 30 days, 60 days. So you have no, so somebody owes you money, but that person could in 30 days or 60 days run into problem and not be able to pay you. So what the trade credit insurance does for, for the owner of that trade credit insurance or the owner of that policy, it gives that the owner the, the protection if the person default on the payment. So if the payment is not made, you're able after 90 days to make a claim against the policy and be paid up to 80% of the value of that, of the amount that you sold to, the, to, to your customer. And is there a minimum and max or maximum that is covered? And what are the premium rates that we're talking about and how are they determined? There is um, the maximum and minimum. Let us discuss that. Oh, it is determined. All right. When you identify a person that you want to, that that you're asking us to insure your receivables with, we would now do what we call a a credit check on that person. When the credit check is done, a recommendation will come back about the amount of credit that the organization or the over the, the the reinsurers would be willing to, in, to insure. 
meaning that they may decide that they will not insure more than 10,000 US dollars worth of goods. They, might, they may decide that they're not doing more than 100,000 US dollars worth of goods. And then that becomes the, the limit, the, the upper limit of the amount you insure. So anything you declare to the bank in excess of that would not be covered. But any amount that you sell to that customer within that 100,000 that was approved would be fully protected. And in the event that the buyer default on that, on that payment that is due to you, you would be able to make a claim to Exim Bank and we will investigate and pay you. Okay. And, and to answer the question now, how are those premium rates uh, determined? Oh, the premium, the premium rate is fairly attractive in that it is six cents out of every hundred dollars. So if you so it if you should use it as a percentage, it's 0.6%. Okay. 0.6%. Of the face value of the amount that you are selling. So if you're selling um, let us say ten thousand dollars worth of goods to uh, let us say a thousand dollars worth of goods to a party, then the coverage on that will basically be a, be sixty dollars for a thousand dollars worth of coverage. So every thousand US dollars worth of goods you sell on credit, then it will cost you six uh, sixty cents to cover that. All right, so sixty dollars. Right, sounds attractive. So, what kinds of businesses or types of goods or services are covered under this uh, regime? All goods would be covered, and it is when it is, and it is so. It is can be bought for over for exporters and for the local market. But in most instances, it is the exporter who is usually buying because they are in most cases they are less familiar with the persons that they are selling, they are selling the goods to. But sometimes even the pandemic that came up recently, let us say you have you were doing business with a customer that you have been doing business with for years, but because of this unforeseen circumstance, this, this customer could have actually, business could have folded and then you would not be paid. But you, it's not no fault of the customer, you know, it's no intention of the customer why he has, he's not able to, to pay it. Unforeseen circumstances has developed and therefore he's unable to pay. But if your goods were insured when you sold it to this customer, then you would be able to make a claim on the bank. And if it was, you sold $10,000 worth of goods to him, 10,000 US dollars worth of goods, then you would make a claim for the, for eight, up to $80,000 would be paid. $8,000 would be paid under the policy. Mm-hmm. And what kind of information do you need to approve a business owner for trade credit insurance at Exim? Typical uh, documents that you would send in when you're opening a bank account, uh, like it's your company's documents. Your So those are the, the documents. Uh, incorporating documents, a list of your, who are your, your shareholders and things like that. We would be, you would be required to submit to the bank. All right. We will do a proposal for you, and after that proposal is done, then we'll get an approval, and the policy, to take out the policy, will cost you about $12,500. But what it gives you is the protection, $12,500, I should say, uh, Jamaican dollars. But you could use that policy now to establish credit limits for all of your overseas exports. And that may give you protections for hundreds of thousands of US dollars 
or tens of thousands of US dollars would be far more than the cost of the policy. Mm-hmm. And finally, where can persons go to learn more about uh, the trade credit insurance that Exim Bank offers to business owners? Our website will provide you information about the, the product and you are able to make contact with our business. If you go on our website, you'll be able to make uh, ask questions on the website and some an officer will contact you to provide you with the information about the policy and make the arrangement for you to get the policy, to, to underwrite the policy for you. Eximbankja.com. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> All right. So to, to learn more about trade credit insurance from the Exim Bank, we go to eximbankja.com. Thank That's you, correct. Thank you so much, Alan. Alan Thomas is the Manager of Business Origination and Development at Exim Bank Jamaica. I appreciate you sharing time with me today to share about trade credit insurance. Thank you so much. Welcome to Exim Bank's Your Business Matters. I am your host, Henneke Watkins-Porter. On this show, we are bringing thought leaders together with thought-provoking ideas and methods on business matters to help you grow your business. Today, we are looking at mergers and acquisitions, which is more profitable. Now, mergers and acquisitions are key development and diversification strategies utilized by companies mainly for expansion purposes. It is not unusual to learn of two economically significant competitors merging, for example, Gleaner and RJR, or the friendly but most often hostile takeover of a targeted company by another company or investor group. In Jamaica, the law and regulations governing mergers and acquisitions fall under the jurisdiction of the Fair Trading Commission, the FTC. This oversight is necessary due to the potential competitive effect on consumers in a market. The combination of two or more companies to form one new company is facilitated by a vertical or horizontal merger. A conglomerate merger brings together companies in unrelated businesses to reduce risk through diversification. So. Are mergers and acquisitions important to a company's overall growth? Who benefits? Who loses? Who or which one rather is more profitable? Now, to debate this, we have two dynamic gentlemen. We have Dr. Ike Johnson, who is co-founder and head of mergers and acquisitions at Cygnus Group. And David Mullins, Chairman and Chief Executive Officer at Blue Maho Capital Partners. Gentlemen, welcome. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having us, Seneca. Absolutely. And also, too, let me point out that we have Jason, who is going to be asking a question. That's Jason Francis. So he's listening keenly. And he has, he's going to be taking notes and he has a question. He will have a question for you both. So be prepared. All right. So are you ready for the battle? (laughs) (laughs) Friendly battle. Yes. Friendly Friendly battle. Okay. All right. So 
All right, mergers and acquisitions. I know, let me preface um, this conversation by saying it is hard to take aside, I know, because you know they both have their places. That, that is a given. But for this conversation, for this interaction, I know that both of you, you are leading to one side over the other. So let me hear the opening argument from you. Uh, let me start with David. Let me hear your opening argument as it relates to, um, well, let me not preempt anything. Let me go ahead and say. <laughs> no, well, thank you for having me. And as I said, this is this is awkward because you know, <laughs> SCI, Signals Credit Investments, was the first investment that we made in Jamaica in our public entity. So you know, having someone like Ike Johnson on the other side of the table will be interesting uh, for me. <laughs> I, I am a Warren Buffett disciple. Everybody that knows me knows I've talked about Berkshire Hathaway. Uh, and Buffett, as far back as 1981, talked about mergers being problematic. In most cases, mergers turn out to be negative, a bad thing for shareholders. Because what happens is that people tend to overpay with mergers. Even in acquisitions, they can actually overpay. So it comes down to that. I prefer acquisitions because it tends to be clear that one company is much larger and will be more in control. Their culture is going to stay. Whereas in mergers, it might end up having more infighting. It might be uh, an, almost a merger of equals and you don't know which CEO is really going to win out. So I lean towards acquisitions, preferably, versus mergers. Of course, some mergers are actually acquisitions in disguise. So the words uh, can move around. So let's focus on what's the reasoning behind it. And I think acquisitions are, are usually better, historically have been better. All right. And we're going to hear some more from you, David. Thank you for that opening. Now to, over to you, Ike. Uh, thank you for having me. And, you know, it's a, it's a pleasure, you know, debating with, with David. Um, <clears throat> I saw his interview on Bloomberg and, you know, I was quite impressed, uh, you know, by his articulate and, you know, blazing a trail in, in such a, a large market in the, you know, in the U.S., though focused on the Jamaica and the Caribbean. But, you know, when it, when it comes to um, an entity wanting to, to uh, you know, expand or, you know, they're looking to consolidate within an industry that, you know, maybe it's, it has too many players in there, and what happened in that situation is there's there's a lot of um, loss of efficiency. Um, they're be fighting um, in regards to pricing, which you know it 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 leads to a situation where the the companies within the industry aren't really earning that good of a, a, a net profit margin. And you know, in such a situation, shareholders um, value tend to tend to be um, hit. So, you know, for me, mergers is, and, you know, I agree to some extent with, with um, what David has said in his opening arguments, you know, acquisition sometimes, sorry, merger sometimes leads to, you know, infighting cultural differences. And in fact, um, mergers and acquisitions or acquisitions fail primarily due to um, differences in culture. It's always a people thing. When you see a merger or acquisition fail, it's normally, you know, you know, clash of cultures 
Um, it's always a, a people matter, nothing to do with, um, you know, how the deal was struck and so forth. Um, but for me, mergers is, is um, the ideal way to go. And the reason here is that, especially in a fragmented industry, you can gain a significant amount of, um, of efficiencies. Uh, you can get um, economies of scale. And, you know, you, you may have, for example, in a horizontal merger, you'll have a situation where two companies, are competitors, and, you know, for example, one unit in one company is better than the, the equivalent unit in the other company. And what you can do in pulling these companies together is sort of, you know, develop um, centers of excellence and, you know, this will not enable uh, the, the combined entity to perform better going forward. Mm -hmm. All right. So here's what I want you to do, both of you. I want you to um, to share some advantages, right? David, I want to hear some advantages of the acquisition. Um, and But before we go into that, perhaps we need to start with the fundamentals, right? Why do companies, um, why would companies consider either mergers or acquisitions? So let's start there. And then we're going to ask you both to share the advantages of acquisitions and mergers. And then we have you go head to head and see which one to, to highlight to us and prove to us or disprove, you know, why one isn't better than the other. So let's talk about why would a company enter into such an agreement or um, such transactions, such strategies? Well, for me, coming from a, an MBA program, I went to the University of Miami for my MBA program. We did a lot of case studies. And so I'll end up talking about case studies. And then I worked in low and middle market private equity here in the US, in the Southeast. And what we learned from that is that organic growth is extremely hard. And John Gray from Blackstone, the chief operating officer, says that scale is a competitive advantage. And I think if we've looked at Amazon in particular, you looked at Walmart, scale really does matter. In the case of the Caribbean, Grace Kennedy, Ansa Macal, you shouldn't be waiting 10 years to just grow organically. You need to be looking at, at M&A to grow the business. And in fact, Grace Kennedy has six M&A deals, supposedly, to, to happen over the next 12 months or more. So, so that's what it is. You're acquiring customers, you're acquiring know-how, you're acquiring new markets. Those are three important things that M&A gets you versus deciding that you want to do it all under your own power. I'm sure you know, Ike has some additional reasons why mergers and acquisitions matter to your business or should matter to your business. Well, you know, why, why would a, a company consider a merger? And one of the main reasons based upon, you know, what we've seen through time, through experience, is um, a merger typically requires less capital to be achieved. So, you know, especially in that situation where both companies are pretty huge, an acquisition of one by the other will uh, require a substantial amount of capital to, to acquire the, the share capital of the, of the, um, of the target. So, you know, for very large companies, it's really uh, advantageous to do a merger as opposed to an M&A because, you know, the, a merger requires both entities to, you know, be consolidated into a new entity, a new legal entity, and typically don't require um, a lot of cash payout um, to the existing shareholders. 
So, you know, from a capitalization point of view and, uh, you know, the, the related costs to, to raise capital and the, the costs of capital from an ongoing basis vis-a-vis um, -vis, um, interest, um, you know, it's, it's much more advantageous to, to companies. But if I'm to go back to, you know, why companies should undertake a merger or even an acquisition, it's really, and as David pointed out, it's really to, to scale. Organic growth, especially within uh, today's world where things are, are, you know, information is far more available to everyone. You know, almost anyone can, can establish a business now. Um, technology is causing a lot of disruptions in, in a lot of industries. So, you know, uh, uh, you know, a graduate from a university can just, you know, think of an idea, put it onto an app, and then there ago we have a disruption. So growing within today's business environment is, is, is pretty hard from an organic perspective. So uh, mergers and acquisition is definitely a way to go if you want to, to, to ramp up your business uh, in a, a, a fairly short period of time because you'll be acquiring um, a customer base, you'll be acquiring know-how as, as David outlined. And, you know, it's it's a much better route to to, um, to grow your business. All right. So you talk about, you know, when you acquire the, the culture and everything. Well, you didn't talk about the culture. Let me ask you about the culture, Ike. So... Whereas we talk about, um, you know, mergers and we're, we're getting into the, the company's structure and, you know, acquiring, well, not acquiring, merging with another company. How does the, um, or what factor does the corporate culture of one versus the other have, um, have to play? Uh, what consideration should be given to that so that, you know, you don't have two different value system, belief system as it relates to um, the culture? And, you know, for me, as um, someone who practices um, private equity and M&A, it's one of the most important things when you're, when you're looking to do uh, a transaction. So if you have, when you examine the cultures of the, the, yeah, the two entities that will, that will merge, um, you know, the first thing to, to ensure is that both cultures can really be integrated. Um, and as such, from the onset, from tar talks are beginning, you have to, you know, get a team in, examine both cultures and, you know, have a, you know, a analysis around the culture within the, 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 um, both entities. So once you, you, um, you do that work and you say each company, um, you know, they have, say it's similar culture, then, you know, you can put together an integration plan and, you know, work through diligently to ensure that, you know, there's proper communication and, um, you know, pulling the teams together does not cause disruption to the businesses on a, you know, on a day-to-day -day basis. Now, if the report comes back and say, you know, one culture is more of a, you know, top-down culture where you have an authoritarian type of leadership and so forth. And um, say the, the other entity now has a culture where it's more around, um, say, 
almost everyone is on the same level. Uh, if, um, say, for example, a junior person in an organization is able to, you know, go up to the CEO and ask a question and challenge things, as opposed to a, another company where the culture is, you know, you have to first, a junior person have to talk to their supervisor, supervisor then speaks to their manager, and then all the way until they reach the top. Pulling together two companies like that from a, from a merger standpoint may cause tremendous amount of um, inertia and you know typically you'll see these businesses suffer and i think david mentioned it in his in his opening speech that you know uh warren buffett's quote you know uh, mergers typically you know end up in a situation where value may be lost and this is really you know what is identified through the literature and for a merger to be successful uh, you have to pay a lot of attention to the people and culture within an organization. And, you know, once you do that, then you should be successful. You see, I like how like, you've moved over to David's side, right? <laughs> you... <laughs> no, I'm just highlighting the, you know, the, the few positive. Yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> All right. So the same, similarly, the, um, the same question pretty much, but um, from a acquisition perspective, how much does, uh, what role does culture play, um, corporate culture play when you're considering acquisitions? Well, I hit the nail on the head, right? Culture is critical. He kept saying that everything is about people. And we have to remember that a business is a collection of people who are working together, ideally with a common mission, vision, and values, with somebody in charge, some leader. But it's very important, as I was saying, if you have a flat organization versus an autocratic organization, they're not going to mesh. Like, there's nothing that they can do to get them to mesh. So culture is going to be critical. And I think that too many people overlook that. They only look at the numbers, and they don't spend any time making sure that there's alignment. If, if we're doing a private equity deal, just like Cygnus, then they would be doing it. We care a whole lot about management and alignment. Okay, over the next five years, what do you want to do in the business? Do you plan to exit? What's your exit strategy? If we don't have alignment, none of us are going to write a check to them. The same thing needs to happen whether you're doing an acquisition or a merger. You need to see that you have alignment with culture. For me, the most important culture though is, is experimentation. Imagine having a company like Microsoft, which, which doesn't experiment as much, at least traditionally they didn't, versus you know somebody like facebook who is silicon valley move fast and break things or yahoo imagine that that both yahoo and microsoft had opportunities to buy facebook and then balked at the price look where facebook is today a one trillion dollar company if facebook had merged into yahoo it, it would be dead because everything yahoo has absorbed is dead yahoo is worth way less today than before it's the same way that if, if facebook was owned by microsoft or imagine Microsoft and Apple. I use these because we know them. Microsoft doesn't care about design. Apple cares, cares about the font. Like they care about the packaging. And no, Microsoft has started that. You can't merge apples and oranges. It just it, it don't work, in my opinion. So it is crucial, crucial. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right. With that note, um, because I did mention that I want you to highlight the points for merger and acquisition um, based on where you stand or sit on this matter and, and, and give us your best argument. Right. Um, who wants to take it first? Your best argument. 
All right, I, I think I'll, I'll, I'll go first. Um, so what is the, the, the main advantage of a merger? And the first thing is, you know, it's a, it's a very efficient way to increase your market share. So as I indicated before, you know, it, it definitely requires a significantly less uh, capitalization and the, the cost of that capital, you know, is, is, is reduced. Um, talking about costs, you have re reduced operating costs because you will achieve economies of scale from a merger. Um, and one example is, you know, if you have two companies, um, say in the manuf manufacturing sector, and you know they, they they do a horizontal merger, then their buying power becomes uh, much larger, and they'll be able to purchase raw materials at a, at a lower cost. Um, you know, you can also avoid replication. Um, so if you have, if both entities have similar products, you can say, okay, which is the product leader in this category? Or, and then you'll, you'll sort of phase out the one that is, you know, less favorable. Um, you can expand the business into uh, additional geographical regions um, so you know for example if you look on the Caribbean from a Caribbean perspective if um, say a Jamaican manufacturer and a Trinidad manufacturer were to merge um, you, you can see the a great degree of efficiency that will be achieved um, so for example from an energy perspective you'll be able to achieve you know greater energy efficiency because the cost of energy in trinidad is lower and you know you can then shift around where certain aspects of your 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 productive capacity is um and you know one one big advantage of, of a merger which you know is is often overlooked is um the, the economies of scale and increase in efficiency that comes from a uh, from a merger may, you know, result in years of a business that before weren't profitable now become uh, profitable due to the, the increase in efficiency. And your response to that, David? No, and so I would say this: the literature and history has shown that the majority of mergers, this is this is beyond eighty percent of mergers, fail and end up destroying value for shareholders and also tend to dilute uh, ownership because uh, typically, yes, uh, Ike is correct, you, you're not paying with cash for merger. In most cases, you, you're doing shares, you, you, but you're issuing new shares. It's not existing shares that you hand over. You have to issue new shares in the business and you take a piece of your business to pay for somebody else's business. So as Warren Buffett would say, you need to care about how much you're paying for that and the value that you get. And he says, you know, I would rather buy a wonderful company for a fair price than a fair company for a wonderful price. Historically, mergers have been done to get better results, right? The management in charge wants their stock price to go up. So they announce some merger with something which then gets the price to go up and they'll pay whatever price they want because it's in shares. They don't think of the shares as cash being paid out. So there has been a lack of discipline historically. I think when you do an acquisition, it forces it to be far more disciplined because you have to use more cash. And I just use simple examples. We talk about 
you know, Sears and Kmart. Sears was smaller and merged with Kmart and is worth 10 times less. They've lost 80% of its value since Sears merged with Kmart. We talk about Sony Ericsson. Remember when we used to have flip phones and, and Nokia existed? Well, two failing companies merging don't help. So, so that was Sears and Kmart, famous example. Sony Ericsson, another famous example. And these are common problems where it's usually not the biggest companies that want to the mergers. It's the struggling fourth, fifth place companies that are trying to merge. Well, there's a reason that you're fourth, fifth place because you're just not as good. They do get economies of scale, but they still have subpar management that got both companies to that, that lower level. And so if a company wants to go from good to great, I think acquisitions forces them to be far better without creating dilution for, for us shareholders. I always look at it from the shareholder aspect. It is possible to do a good merger. I think it is much harder, though, to do a good merger than to do a good acquisition. And so... Now, from our standpoint, we prefer the acquisition route just based on history, right? Warren Buffett says you don't need to jump over, you know, seven foot bars, look for one foot bars to step over. Well, acquisitions are one foot bars, mergers are 20 foot bars, as far as I'm concerned. All right. All right. In- intensifying our conversation. All right. So at this point, I'm going to give you, gentlemen, um, a little break. <laughs> While our audience member Jason Francis come on to ask this question, and Jason, we want to hear um, a little bit about you, what you do, and um, and go ahead with your question. Hi, Hanika. Thanks for having me very much. It's great to be on a call with both David Mullins and Dr. Johnson, two very prominent individuals in the private equity space who I, I respect very much. Um, I work for Blumaho Capital as an analyst, and um, I've had a wonderful time working there so far with David Mullins. Um, so my question to both gentlemen are, in the case of the developing economies like the Caribbean, where capital resources are more limited and it is ever more important to manage those resources effectively, to what extent will either mergers or acquisitions be a better catalyst for growth and reallocation of resources in the region. When it comes to a merger or, a, or an acquisition, right? I think it's, it's more around the, the particular opportunity, the, um, the, the industry within the, the operate. So, you know, it's, it's not really a one hat that fits all, it's, it's more specific to you know the opportunity the circumstance and you know the ability of the the partner entity to access capital within you know a robust enough capital market um so and also the size of the industry also matters because um you know if you have two companies in an industry for example you have say two telecoms company and um, one acquires the other or, or merges with the other, then you have one entity left and, you know, from a, which, you know, despite the Fair Trading Commission may not agree to that, but for example purposes, you'll end up in a situation where you, you're going to lose um, the, the efficiencies brought about by competition. So first, you know, we have to examine the the, the 
the industry and the opportunity there and you know determine if that's the best thing so to get more specific around your your question um if within the caribbean a particular sector or industry has uh you know it's highly fragmented then you know once you see a, a certain degree of fragmentation it's an indication that there's opportunities to to you know gain efficiencies through uh mergers or acquisitions um so in that case you know gains in efficiency um will will definitely lead to um you know some level of growth within the sector which then affects the the country um you know over time so you know whilst merge acquisition lead to greater degrees of uh, efficiency in 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 i'll say most cases in in recent times um i think it's it's best to really you know it's it's more um industry uh, specific country specific the size of the industry and so forth so whilst you know we can say m a you know will be a catalyst for growth in the region it really comes with a caveat where you know the market has to be a certain size um the there must be several players within the industry um or if it's not horizontal from a vertical perspective there must be you know <clears throat> competition um in say for example your supply markets and so forth for it to end up in a situation where it will lead um, to, to to growth and development in a region and so i will have to pick up exactly on there and i, I want us to to understand it's called m and a not m or a so i'm very much with the where it cannot be saying one size fits all we have to look at the fact that both merge and acquisitions are benefit, beneficial, especially to the region, to developing economies. And to build on what Ike was saying, you know, Jim Collins, the author of Good to Great and Built to Last, two required readings when I worked at the private equity firm, says that you know, we need to get away from the tyranny of or and embrace the genius of and. I think that is important to understand where there are advantages and disadvantages. So we talk about size, we talk about you know, the number of people. Well, if it's, if it's a, a big market, but really two players, right? Two elephants. We've all heard that parable that phrase, you know, when two elephants fight, it's the grass that suffers. And this is where he just brought up two big telecoms. That's an example. Jamaica had three telecoms. We lost one. We've seen what has happened. We've seen reduced competition. Is that good for the economy? Is that good for moving into 5G and the fourth industrial revolution? Is that good for us as customers? I would say no. So in that case, a merger or an acquisition was not ideal. But then you look at something like the microcredit industry in Jamaica, over 120 players. Well, that clearly is ripe for consolidation there. There's a few big players, but there are no real elephants. Ton of small fish, they need to be merging, right? The bigger ones would probably do acquisitions because they're big. The smaller ones should be merging with each other because and they're going to be going the way of the dodo, if not. So I think what really is important to us is, is three things, which you know, Michael Leachin always talks about. Is you want to look at one perception must be different from reality. So 
there's money to be made in the Caribbean. That, that's number one. And number two, there should be a lack of equity capital flowing in. Well, that is clearly the case. Uh, Cygnus is helping to change that with, with Cygnus credit investments. Now they have the real estate development side. And then Cygnus Deneb in particular, which is equity capital that needs to flow in. That's important. And we want to play our role as well. But lastly, and important is that there should be inefficiencies present. The caveat is that they need to want to improve the inefficiencies though. So just because we can now put equity into the business, whether by merger acquisition, and my preference is an acquisition, we acquire the business, you need to then eliminate the inefficiencies as quickly as possible. I think that there, there are two examples recently in, in the Caribbean that, that serve as good case studies. And guess what? They're not mergers. They're acquisitions. Uh, so we look at Grace Kennedy and Key Insurance. Uh, Grace Kennedy was able to get a far lower price when they purchased Key than what anybody could buy in the public market. But big company acquired it, turned it around. Inefficiencies were present. They made sure that there was not going to be a culture clash. And then they've now scaled that business nicely. And then you look at NCB and Guardian Holdings. To me, that is a fantastic opportunity. Two wonderful companies have been combined, but it's not a merger, it was an acquisition. So I tend to lean towards acquisitions having actually worked easier. I, I want the path of least resistance. I'm like water. If the stone is there, I'm just going to go around no stone. I don't need to try and break down the stone. I think mergers are breaking down stones and having worked in corporate, I spent enough time banging my head against walls. I want to focus on just going around the wall instead. So, so I think acquisitions prove easier for the region, but both, both need to happen. And we need to be open to that. I would say that the last thing, if anybody takes away just one thing from this, I think I could agree, is that we've seen too many family-owned businesses stay private and not take on outside capital. There's been this idea of, oh, I want my kids to take it over, but your kids probably don't want to take over the business, or I don't want to take on any debt. You're very proud to not have debt. Well, your competitors are taking on debt and managing it well, or you don't want any outside investors because you want to control 100% of the business. Well, you don't have 100% of the ideas. You don't have 100% of knowledge within your business. So you need to be going to Cygnus and Blue Moho Capital and saying, hey, I want capital from you. I want you on our board. I want you to open some doors. I want you to improve governance for us. That's going to be beneficial. But in reality, you are not just competing in the Caribbean anymore. Right? COVID just proved to everybody that we are competing globally now at all times. So you need to be globally competitive. And that means you need to be acquiring companies outside of the region. And I would say hats off to Grace Kennedy, right? They've bought Lafayette Foods, for example. So while Grace Kennedy was focused on, oh, selling to Jamaicans in the diaspora, they said, crap, you know what? There's this other market we're not paying attention to. The Hispanic market is growing far faster. We need to enter that market and directly compete with Goya and Iberia instead of indirectly. So again, that was an acquisition, not a merger. So you, I just going to keep pointing out, I'm big on the acquisition side, but we are private equity, that's right. Good, good, good. I really love what we have been um, talking about and how you have presented your points and that response to Jason's question. I think um, based on our time, David, I'm going to use that as your closing argument because you did make a solid point right there. So now I'll give Ike his opportunity to just close off and um, sell us over because David has won me over when he comes on to acquisition. So you try and, and win me over for mergers. <laughs> yes, yes. Let me, let me win you. Um, 
get you back on my side. So I have to agree with, with David's um, comment in terms of what we notice in the in the region now. You have a lot of family-owned businesses and, you know, they're, they're successful businesses, run well, have a very good standing within their industry. And what you typically see is, you know, the, 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 the children are, you know, living overseas and are, you know, they just don't have that drive and interest in that business, which, which is okay. But what the problem that create is, you know, there's no succession planning. So you'll have a very good business. And when the principal gets older and older, um, you know, running that business becomes harder and harder. And, you know, we're not, we're not in a normal, um, you know, business environment anymore. You know, technology is pretty much disrupting everything. You know, you see Uber now is in Jamaica and um, you, you, you've heard it, the taxi drivers complain and so forth. But, you know, this is how uh, technology causes disruption within our, you know, 21st century business environment. So, you know, once you're within an industry and there's fragmentation, there's efficiencies to be gained, um, and, you know, for you to move forward within a mature industry, you have to do this through mergers. And um, the, the, the reason why, you know, I keep on beating this merger is it requires less capital. And, you know, once, you know, certain metrics are present in, present in terms of, um, you know, the, the ability of both cultures to be integrated, um, you know, there's efficiencies to gain, um, efficiency of, um, you know, from, from pulling together different units, different products and so forth, then merger is definitely the way to go, you know. You know, David prefers acquisition, but if in a situation where the, the capital market is not robust enough, and you know, you, maybe you don't have sufficient cap, sufficient cap um, collateral to go to the bank to say, give me a loan to buy this entity. You know, merger is definitely the way to go. You know, you achieve all the advantages of a merger. Of a sorry, merger is the way to go, but you can achieve the same um, benefits of an acquisition, but with just less capital. All right. So with that said, it's now over to you, my audience members, to determine, um, is it merger for you or is it an acquisition? You decide. They have both presented their points and it's now for you to say, you know, let me consider this as a strategy for uh, growing my business, whether it's going to be merger or an acquisition. So thank you so much to my um, knowledgeable and qualified guest, Dr. Ike Johnson, who is co-founder and head of mergers and acquisitions at Cygnus Group, and David Mullins, who is chairman and CEO at Blue Maho Capital Partners, and to Jason, who asked a very, very pointed question. Jason Francis, thank you so much. Let me ask you, if persons want to get in touch with you at Cygnus and at Blumaho Capital, where can they find you? Go right ahead and share that detail with us. Well, if you want to get in touch with us at, at, at Cygnus, um, you can send us an email at um, info at cygnusgroup.com. And, you know, where you can visit our website as well, cygnusgroup.com. 
and you know all information that you'll need you know to to contact us what are our products and so forth and you know <laughs> um will you know will be available on the website so you know look us up we're just um you know a google search away and you can get in touch with us awesome thank you so much and then with blue moho capital as you know blue moho is jamaica's national tree so m-a-h-o-e is www.bloomahocapital.com and info at bloomahocapital.com as well. Awesome. Thank you so very much. Thank you so much. And thank you for tuning in to this episode of Your Business Matters, a production of Exim Bank Jamaica in partnership with me, yes, Henika Watkins-Porter of the Entrepreneurial You podcast. We trust that this episode uh, really br brought some clarity on mergers and acquisitions for you, that you can determine, you know, which strategy is better for my business, should I need to consider any of these. Remember to join us next week for another insightful and educational episode as we move you closer towards your business goals. To stay in touch or to learn more about Exim Bank, visit eximbankja.com. In the meantime, please, please tell a friend to tell a friend to tell a friend about this podcast and subscribe as well via your favorite podcast app. Your business matters, bringing the matters to the table. As you continue to mind your own business, I leave you with a quote from Winston Churchill. Success is not final. Failure is not fatal. It is the courage to continue that counts. Please take care of yourselves. Mm -hmm.